Welcome, family, to today's podcast of Fernando Alcoholic. Let us go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the Lord's Prayer. Please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Stay. All right, this morning we're going to be doing the uh, usual daily reflections, followed by the 24-hour book. Followed by a reading from the A.A. Grapevine. Followed by a 3,500-year-old book, Proverbs of Solomon. And followed by a 3,500-year-old book, the uh, Psalms of King David. And followed by uh, Faith to Faith. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. We prayed already, and we believe the impossible... Because we're asking for the remarkable order. Just like our readings, it says, uh, remarkable things will happen. And it just so happens that we're asking them through osmosis, through being members of the program. We are asking for remarkable things. At every meeting, remarkable things have happened to me and millions and millions of others who have participated honestly and with letting go the 12-step program, concepts and traditions. Here we are, December the 18th. Honesty with newcomers. Daily reflections. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. Stress the spiritual feature freely. Alcoholic Anonymous, page 93. The marvel of AA is that I tell you what happened to me. I don't waste time offering advice to potential newcomers, for if advice worked, nobody would get to AA. All I have to do is show what has brought me sobriety and what has changed my life. If I fail to stress the spiritual feature of AA's program, I am being dishonest. The newcomer should not be given a false impression of sobriety. I am sober only through the grace of my higher power. And that makes it possible for me to share with others. And like I said before, Fernando Alcoholic, God pays, puts petrol in my truck. He even provides the truck. He provides the sleep, the common sense, the joy, uh, everything peaceful at home for me to be of service. God does for me remarkable things that I cannot do for myself. You know, I came in, <clears throat> I didn't know that I didn't know. I wasn't even able to ask for directions. <clears throat> but in, in the meeting, I did ask for directions by uh, acknowledging and participating in the prayers. And then waiting and having patience in the meeting, place my problems in the hands of my higher power whom I didn't know who he was, but he was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Clearly, effectively hitting home runs for me. All I had to do was start running the bases and waving to the people. 
<clears throat> and being happy, joyous, and free. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't realize this, but I asked for clarity and what the things I must do, and clarity came. Uh, my higher power, he gives us direction in all areas by being in a meeting through osmosis. <laughs> That's my experience, guys. Okay, moving right along, we're reading today's 24-hour book, Daily Reflection. AA Thought for the Day. <clears throat> Unless we have the key of faith to unlock the meaning of life, we are lost. We do not choose faith because it is one way for us, but because it is the only way. Many have failed and will fail, for we cannot live victoriously without faith. We are at sea without a rudder or an anchor, drifting on the sea of life. Wayfarers without a home. Our soul, souls are restless until they find rest in God. Without faith, our lives are as meaningless succession of unrelated happiness and happening, <clears throat> happenings without rhyme or reason. Have I come to rest in faith? Have I come to rest in faith? Beautiful. Meditation for the day. This vast universe around us, including this wonderful earth on which we live, was once perhaps only a thought in the mind of God. The nearer the astronomers and the physicians get to the ultimate compositions of all things, the nearer the universe approaches a mathematical formula, which is thought. The universe may be the thought of the great thinker, we must try to think God's thoughts after him. We must try to get guidance from the divine mind as to what his intention is for the world and what part we have in carrying out that intention. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may not worry over the limitations of my human mind. I pray that I may live as though my mind were a reflection of the divine mind. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. Wow. Hitting it out of the park. You know, um, I came to a conclusion earlier as I've been studying about electricity. I'm, I'm changing some electric, electrical parts in my house. So I've been doing a lot of YouTube research on electricity. And guess what? Um, what's happening is, it's the same concept with a higher power. Listen to this. I found out that Benjamin Franklin was wrong. That power goes, uh, springs from the negative side of a body of the, of the, and goes to the po positive side, post, like for all things. Did you know that, that power comes out of the negative side of the post in a battery? For instance, in a car, the power leaves the negative side of the post and it goes and turns the starter, then the power returns back to the positive side of the post. <laughs> I got that wrong printing. In a battery, this is the truth. This is the same concept with our higher power. We thank him for a trying situation and he turns it with his positive power to his liking. We are the chooser or where that power is directed. If we choose to send out positive power from the, <clears throat> to our, to, we choose to thank God for the negative situation and God turns it and turns it to the power 
to the right situation. At his liking. And it gives me a check. I check myself. See how grown up I am towards the situation. And I keep thanking him. And I get more grown up. I go through faces of poor me. I go through anger. Stomp my feet. And then I come to a conclusion that I'll accept it. And thank God. There's nothing I can do about it. And thank God for the rest of my life for this situation. And that's when my higher power um, changes this little child's attitude and the situation. And I said, huh, I wish I would have learned this years ago. Trying situations, there's love in back of each trying situation. If I pay the price of thanking him and go through the phases of emotions. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. That's my experience. Okay, let's move on. <clears throat> um, what do we have? We have the grapevine reading today. Thank you so much for coming in and listening to my... I'm not going to call him granting, uh, ratting or... What do you call it? I don't know what to call it. All right, here we go. This article is called by uh, called Quiet Desperation. It's sent to us by Margie K. Of Park City, Illinois. Margie K.S. from October 1993, Grapevine. She walks to the store, a picture of middle aged, middle class, middle management. Her shoes are well polished, her blue wool skirt comes just to her knees, a well fitting jacket drops below her hips to disguise a figure that's a, becoming a bit too matronly. Matronly. Her makeup is slightly faded, her white silk blouse a little wilted. Our lady has had a hard day. With basket in arm, she chooses a head of lettuce, a bunch of grapes. A few aisles later, she has a loaf of bread. Absently, she drops in the evening news. Suddenly, her gait, gait changes from lady strolling in the park to woman late for a meeting. She halts, she halts in the liquor section. Now a thin film of perspiration is apparent on her upper lip. She glances up and down the aisle. Is anyone? No, she's here. Does anyone? A shaky hand grasps the bottle, deposits in the basket, casually covers it with the newspaper. She strives to the checkout counter. The cashier is young, too young by state law to ring up alcohol. Our Lady is enraged when the manager comes. Our Lady snaps that if the store paid a living wage, they could hire some competent help, help that could ring up a simple bottle of rum. In the parking lot, she slams into her car, stretches into reverse. Steady now, she thinks. You can't afford an accident. Carefully, she maneuvers her car through the lot and along the few short blocks to her home. At home, her shaking hand unlocks the door, close it behind her, lock it. She takes down a glass, spills some rum into it. She gulps down the liquid fire. Her body sh shudders at each swallow. She hates the taste but needs the drink. When the glass is empty, she sets it down for a moment and feels the warm glow flow through her, seeping down to her toes. Now, with steadier hands, 
She refills the glass with rum and orange juice, half and half, and swallows it down. Rum tastes better this way. She thinks, why do I drink it straight? Absently, she builds a third drink, adds an ice cube. It's time to feed the cat. Time was when she fed the cat first. Now the cat must wait. She goes to the living room, carrying her drink. Feet up, she opens the paper and begins to read the news. She's distracted by the blue veins flowing too close to the surface of her wrist. It would be so easy, she muses, just a few cuts with a razor blade, but she knows she's a coward. There will be too much pain, too much blood. A thought occurs to her. In the bathroom, she finds the sleeping pills prescribed by a sympathetic doctor. She hadn't really lied to him. She hasn't been able to keep, not without five or six drinks, she hasn't been able to sleep. She carries the pill bottle back to her chair, finishes her drink, bills another. She uncops the vial and pours the pills into her hand. She counts them, one at a time. Twenty-nine pieces of eternity she holds in her hand. She returns them to their bottle. Two lines in the evening paper catch her eye. Do you have a desire to stop drinking? It asks. Call Alcoholics Anonymous 24-hour hotline. A local number follows. The pill bottle sits next to the telephone. Which to choose? Her hand grabs the telephone, dials the number, Listening to it ring, she takes another swallow of her drink. I need help, she mumbles into the receiver. I am an alcoholic, she confesses. She drains the rest of her glass. If AA doesn't work, she thinks, the pill will still be waiting. She puts the bottle behind her empty glass and waits for the answer. Margie K.S. from Parksville, Illinois. Thank you, Margie, for sending in that article. And now, what do we move on to? We move on to Faith to Faith, Kenny Copeland. Extremely blessed by Gloria Copeland, December 18. A gift is a precious stone in the eyes of him that has it. Whatsoever it turneth, it prospers. Proverbs 17.8 if I could give you a gift this Christmas, the word is that I give you, I'd rather give it to you than a check for a million dollars. The Bible is what I'll give you. Because you can run through a million dollars real quick, but the truth of God's word never quits. And it will get you out of situations a million dollars can't get you out of. Kenny and I are just ordinary people, but when we latch on to God's word, we latch on to something out of the ordinary, something that changed our lives, every area of our lives. Nothing that's happened to us has happened because of us. It's happened because of God's word. In fact, I don't even have to know you to promise you this. I don't have to know you. If you'll give God's word your full attention and not be afraid of his will for your life, you're going to be happier and more prosperous than anything you could ever dreamed of. Of course, if you do that, people may call you extreme. They say that about all us all the time. But we don't mind. We are extreme. And if you'll set your faith on the word of God, 
You can be extreme too, extremely well, extremely prosperous, and extremely blessed. Merry Christmas. And now a reading from Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. And uh, I have to switch over to English. Thought I had it in English. Proverbs 18. Here we go. New Living Translation. It says, Unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Doing wrong leads to disgrace, and scandalous behavior brings contempt. Wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flow from the wise like the bubbling brook. It is not right to acquit the guilty or deny justice to the innocent. Fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They are asking for a beating. The muffle fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. A lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? Intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. Giving a gift can open doors. It gives access to important people. The first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examine begins. Flipping a coin can end arguments. It settles disputes between powerful opponents. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like gate locks with bars. Wise words satisfy like a good meal, and the right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequence. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. The poor plea for mercy, the rich answer with insults. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Amen. Now we move over to Psalms 18, please. I love you, Lord. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. He sang this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from all his enemies and from Saul. He sang, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. 
The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I call on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from all my enemies. The ropes of death entangle me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The gray wrapped his ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storms, clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him and rained down hail and bursting coals. The Lord thunders from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amid the hail and burning coals. He shoots his arrows and scatters his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flash, and they were consumed. They were confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You rescue the humble, but you humiliated the proud. You light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect, and the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer. 
enabling us to stand on mountain roads, mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They, have, they fell beneath my feet. You have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. You placed my foot on their necks. I have destroyed all who hated me. They called for help, but no one came to rescue them. They even cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I grounded them as fine as dust in the wind. I swept them into the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers. You appointed me ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. As soon as they heard of me, they submitted foreign nations. Four nations cringe before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harm me. He seduces the nations under me and rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. For this is for this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You give great victory to your king. You show unfailing love to your anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Psalm forty eight. How great is the Lord, how deserving of praise, in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. It is high and magnificent, the whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, in the city of the great king. God himself is in Jerusalem, towers revealing him as its defender. The kings of the earth joined forces in advance against the city. But when they saw it, they were stunned. They were terrified and ran away. They were gripped with terror and withered to pain like a small, like a woman to labor. You destroy them like the mighty ships of Tarshish, shuddered, shattered by a powerful east wind. We had heard of the city's glory, but now we have seen it ourselves the city of the Lord of heaven armies. In it, city of our God, he will make it safe forever. O God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. As your name deserves, O God, you will be praised to the ends of the earth. Your strong right hand is filled with victory. Let the people of Mount Zion rejoice. Let all the towns of Judah be glad. Because of your justice. Go, inspect the city of Jerusalem. Walk around and count the many towers. 
Take note of the fortified walls and tour all the citadels, that you may describe them to future generations, for that is what God is like. He is our God forever and ever. He will guide us until we die. Amen. Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord. With all my heart, I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Every king in all the earth will thank you. Lord, for all of them will hear your words. Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways, for the glory of the Lord is very great. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Though I am surrounded by troubles, I will pour protect me you will protect me from the anger of my enemies you reached out your hand and the power of your right hand has saved me the lord will work out his plan for my life for your faithful love O lord endures forever don't abandon me for you made me Reading from the book of Zephaniah from the New Living Translation, Tyndale Spiritual Renewal Bible. The commentary is called The Big Picture. If only. It is a haunting phrase. It implies that we have failed and that we wish we could go back and do things differently. As we dare to see the truth and accept responsibility for our lives, we may become sad and ashamed when our, we reflect on our past. We regret our irresponsible and destructive behaviors and wish we could erase past mistakes. This must have been how the people of Judah felt when they heard the prophetic words of Zephaniah. If only they had obeyed and trusted God. God, God called Zephaniah during the days of King Josiah, the last of Judah's good kings. The prophets' condemnation of Judah's idols' worship and self-centered living fit well with the early part of Josiah's reign. When his purge against idolatry were just beginning, Zephaniah's prophetic support of these purges would certainly have bolstered Josiah's efforts. However, the apostasy of Judah's previous kings, Manasseh and Ammon, had felt deep spiritual wounds in Judah had left, and despite Zephaniah's ministry and Josiah's noble reforms, scars remained visible in Judah even at the end of his reign. The people of Judah were in need of some major changes. They had seen the northern kingdom of Israel 
exile to Assyria, but they assumed that the presence of God in the Jerusalem temple would protect them from foreign invaders. They needed to be shocked out of their spiritual indifference. Zephaniah warned the people that Judah would be destroyed if they didn't act right away. He also let them know that spiritual renewal was still possible. Spiritual awakening could still occur if they would admit their sins and trust in God. Josiah and the people listened to Zephaniah, responded, and experienced revival. Spiritual Renewal Themes, The Consequences of Irresponsibility Many of our troubles are directed consequences of our irresponsibility. Judah was irresponsible in her covenant relationship with God. She worshipped false gods and ignored God's laws, which were intended for her own good. But Zephaniah made it clear that their irresponsibility would carry heavy consequences. Encouraged by Zephaniah and led by Josiah, The people of Judah confessed their sins, took responsibility for their lives, and turned back to God. As a result, they received substantial healing and restoration. When we are irresponsible in our relationship with God and others, our situation will grow progressively worse. But as we learn to live responsible lives, we begin to experience the blessings of God. Complacency leads to a downfall. Prosperity and success often lead to complacency. Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, had been one of Judah's greatest kings. He had led his people back to God, and God had greatly blessed them. However, Judah's next two kings, Manasseh and Ammon, led their people into a period of spiritual complacency. And with time, the complacency led to sin and its consequences. Josiah followed in the footsteps of Hezekiah and helped lead the people back to God. Often our greatest failures follows our greatest victories. In order to prevent a downfall, we need to continually seek God and honestly reflect on our own spiritual condition. We want to have hearts that are vulnerable and dependent on God, regardless of how far we have progressed spiritually. Spiritual renewal leads to joy. The process of spiritual renewal may start out painfully. When we confess the truth of ourselves, it it can hurt. But as we begin to see the truth, speak the truth, and accept responsibility for our own lives, we discover the greatest relief and hope that God offers. As we begin to release whatever we are holding on to and redirect our course to follow God's will for us, We find joy that we can truly celebrate God's goodness as it filters into every area of our lives, bringing joy where there was once only sorrow and pain. Chapter 1 of Sephaniah. It says, The Lord gave these messages to Sephaniah. When Josiah, son of Ammon, was king of Judah, Sephaniah was son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah. I will sweep away everything in all your land, says the Lord. I will sweep away both people and animals alike. Even the birds of the air and the fish of the sea will die. 
I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble, along with the rest of humanity, says the Lord. I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fists and destroy every last trace of their Baal worship. I will put an end to all their idolatrous priests, to that even the memory of them will disappear. For they will go up to their roofs and bow to the sun, moon, and stars. They claim to follow the Lord, but then they worship Molech too. So now I will destroy them, and I will destroy those who used to worship me, but now no longer do. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessings. Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign good Lord, for the awesome day of the Lord's judgment has come. The Lord has prepared his people for a great slaughter and has chosen their executioners. On that day of judgment, says the Lord, I will punish the leaders and princes of Judah and all of those following pagan customs. Yes, I will punish those who participate in pagan worship ceremonies and those who steal and kill to fill their master's homes with loot. On that day, says the Lord, a cry of alarm will come from the fish gate and echo throughout the new, newer Mishnah section of the city and a great crashing sound will come from the surrounding hills wail in sorrow all you who live in the market area for all who buy and sell there will die i will search with lanterns in jerusalem darkest corners to find and punish those who sit content in their sins indifference to the lord thinking he will do nothing at all to them they are the very ones whose property will be plundered by the enemy, whose homes will be ransacked. They will never have a chance to live in the new homes they have built. They will never drink wine from the vineyards they have planted. Note. Commentary. Through Sephaniah, God condemned the irresponsible behavior of Judah's leaders from verses 4 through 13. It says he was probably referring to the recent reigns of Manasseh and Ammon, two of Judah's most wicked kings. During their reigns, the people of Judah had become increasingly dependent on false, false gods, had ceased to worship the true God, and had built a society in which deceitful and immoral people could prosper. The progression is clear. When we turn from the true God, our society and its members begin to deteriorate. We all need God. Unless we recognize this fact, our lives will continue on a downhill path. Verse 15. Well, 14. That terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes. A day when strong men will cry bitterly. It is a day when the Lord's anger will be poured out. It is a day of terrible distress and anguish. A day of ruin and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, of clouds blackened, trumpet calls to battle cries, down go down the wall cities and strongest battlements. Because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make you as helpless as a blind man searching for a path. Your blood will be poured out into the dust and your bodies will lie there rotting on the ground. Your silver and gold will be one of no use to you on that day of the Lord's anger, for the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. He will make a terrifying 
in of all the people on earth. Verses 14 through 18, commentary. The prophet warned of the coming day of the Lord, a day of reckoning with God. At that time, Judah would be conquered and her people led away as slaves to Babylon. God mercifully offered his people numerous chances to repent. But there would come a time when judgment would fall. We should be thankful that God would not allow us to reject his way forever. When we do things our way, we only hurt ourselves and the people we love. If we listen to the early warning we receive and act appropriately, we need not fear a future day of reckoning. A Call to Repentance, Chapter 2 The purpose of God's judgment was to encourage the people of Judah. Verses 1 through 3, 1, 2, and 3. Commentary. The purpose of God's judgment was to encourage the people of Judah to depend on him. The prophet called the people to repent, hoping they will be spared the coming devastation. The people responded favorably to Zephaniah's message, and King Josiah led them in a great reformation. This led to the last high point in Judah's history. Though the day of reckoning did come, it was delayed for several generations. Like the people of Zephaniah's day, let us respond to the warnings we receive, admitting our failures and asking God to help us. Reading of verses of chapter 2. Gather together and pray, you shameless nation. Gather while there is still time. Before judgment begins and your opportunity is blown away like shaft, act now before the fiercy fury of the Lord falls and the terrible day of the Lord's anger begins. Beg the Lord to save you, all you who are humble, all you who uphold justice. Walk humbly and do what is right. Perhaps even yet the Lord will protect you from his anger on the day of destruction. Judgment against Philistia. Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, these Philistine cities too will be rooted out and left in desolation. And how terrible it will be for you, Philistines, who live along the coast in the land of Canaan. For this judgment is against you too. The Lord will destroy you until not one of you is left. The coastal area will become a pasture, a place of shepherd camps and closures for sheep. The few survivors of the tribe of Judah will pasture there. They will lie down to rest in the abandoned houses in Ashkelon, who the Lord their God will visit his people in kindness and restore their prosperity again. Judgment against Moab and Ammon I have heard the taunts of the people of Moab and Ammon mocking my people and invading their borders. Now, as surely as I live, says the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, Moab and Ammon will be destroyed as completely as Sodom and Gomorrah. Their land will become a place of stinging nettles, salt pits, and eternal desolation. Those of my people who are left will plunder them and take their land. They will receive the wages of their pride, 
for they have scoffed at the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will terrify them as he destroyed all the gods in the land. Then people from nations around the world will worship the Lord, each in their own land. You Ethiopians, judgment against Ethiopia and Assyria will also be slattered by the sword, says the Lord. And the Lord will strike the land of the north with his fist. He will destroy Assyria and make its great capital, Nineveh, a desolated wasteland, parched like a desert. This city that once was proud will become a pasture for sheep and cattle. All sorts of wild animals will settle there. Owls of many kinds will live among the ruins of its palaces, hooting from the gapping windows. Rubble will block all the doorways, and the cedar paneling will lie open to the wind and weather. This is the fate of that boistering city, once so secure. In all the world there is no city as great as I, it boasted. But now, look how it has become an utter ruin, a place where animals live. Everyone passing that way will laugh in derision or shake a defiant feast. Fist, not feast. The purpose of God's judgment, uh, note, commentary, the purpose of God's judgment was to encourage the people of Judah to depend on him. The prophet called the people to repent, hoping they would be spared the coming devastation. The people responded favorably to Sephaniah's message, and King Josiah led them in great reformation. This led to the last high point in Judah's history. Through the day of reckoning did come, it was delayed for several generations. Like the people of Sephaniah's day, let us respond to the warnings we received, admitting our failures and asking God to help us. Sephaniah listed the nations that had influenced Judah in their idolatrous practices. These nations would come under God's judgment and lose their corrupting influence. God gives us great potential to influence others for good. However, we often end up leading others in the wrong direction. Taking responsibility for those we have led astray in some way is part of accepting responsibility for our lives. It may be one of our children's or perhaps a friend or co-worker. Part of making restitution with such peoples is doing what we can to get them back on the right track. Chapter 3 Jerusalem's Rebellion and Redemption How terrible it will be for rebellious people polluted in Jerusalem, the city of violence and crime, it probably refuses to listen even to the voice of the Lord. No one can tell it anything. It refuses all correction. It does not trust in the Lord or draw near to its God. Its leaders are like roaring lions hunting for their victim, out for everything they can get. Its judges are like ravenous wolves at evening time, whose by dawn have left no trace to their prey. Its prophets are arrogant liars seeking their own gain. Its priests defile the temple by disobeying God's law. 
But the Lord is still there in the city, and he does no wrong. Day by day, his justice is more evident. But no one takes notice, though wicked, no, no shame. Note, the destruction behavior of Judah's people through influence by other nations was ultimately her responsibility. The people... <laughs> Excuse me. The people refused to admit their sins to God. Instead, they rejected all of his attempts of warning and correction. We all have been influenced negatively by others, but pointing the finger at them will slow our spiritual progress. They are responsible for dealing with their problems. We are responsible for our own. As we take responsibility for our actions, Recognizing how much we need God, we will be able to redirect the course of our lives. If we continue to blame others for our problems, we are headed for destruction. Verse 5. <laughs> Excuse me. But the Lord is still there in the city, and he does no wrong. Day by day, his justice is more evident. But no one takes notice. The wicked know no shame. I have wiped out many nations, devastating their fortress walls and towers. Their cities are now deserted. Their streets are in silent ruin. There is no survivors to even tell what happened. I thought surely they will have Reverence for me now. Surely they will listen to my warning, so I will need to strike again. But no, however much I punish them, they continue their evil practices from dawn till dusk and dusk till dawn. So now the Lord says, Be patient. The time is coming soon when I will stand up and accuse those evil nations. For it is my decision to gather together the kingdom of the earth and pour out my fierce anger and fury on them. All the earth will be devoured by the fire of my jealousy. On that day, I will purify the lips of all people so that everyone will be able to worship the Lord together. My scattered people who live beyond the rivers of Ethiopia will come to prevent their offerings. And then you will no longer need to be ashamed of yourselves. For you will no longer be rebels against me. I will remove all the people and arrogant people from among you. There will be no pride on my holy mountain. Those who are left will be the lowly and the humble. For it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. The people of Israel who survive will do no wrong to each other. Never telling lies or deceiving one another. They will live peaceful lives, lying down to sleep in safety. There will be no one to make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemies. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over and you will fear disaster no more. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid, 
For the Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with great gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will exult over you by singing a happy song. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festival. You will be disgraced no more. And I will deal favorably, I will deal severely with all those who have oppressed you. I will save the weak and helpless one. I will bring together those who chased away, were chased away. I will give glory and renown to my former exiles, who have been mocked and shamed. On that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among the nations of the earth. They will praise you as I restore your fortunes before their very eyes. I, the Lord, have spoken. Note, from verses 9 to 20, Sephaniah describe a future age that will follow the ultimate day of the Lord. This will be an age of blessing marked by honest and pure worship of God. Sorrows and burdens will no longer exist, and the nation of Israel will finally be restored to its land of hope and security. We can rejoice in the great promise for God's people. Note, the, uh, the Lord, Jesus, came and changed people's hearts for the Lord has arrived, God, the Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with gladness, great gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will exult over you by singing a happy song. Okay, that is the key for us to access the power and the love and the enthusiasm of Jesus Christ, our King and our God, the one Israel was waiting for, has come and his presence among us. And how do we do it? We sing a song of victory, and he is in that song, and that singing a happy song. With his love, we will calm all our fears. We can sing to the Lord Jesus by saying, I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for all things. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for all things. You can have the Christmas melody with it. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for all things, just as the way they are. And then he'll take care of the rest. Nothing missing, nothing broken. We have activated shalom for nothing missing, nothing broken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
New Living Testament, the book of Luke. The big picture. Tradition holds that Luke was a physician as well as a historian. He wrote about Jesus as a man who cared greatly for suffering and downtrodden people. A man who brought healing to the hurting. In the genealogy of Jesus, Luke traced Jesus' human ancestors back to Adam, the father of the human race, and Luke's stories about Jesus focus on his relationship with individual people. Jesus paid special attention to people who were often ignored in society, <clears throat> women, children, the poor, prostitutes, despised tax collectors, and sinners and drunkards of every sort. Jesus offered salvation, strength, and restoration to everyone he met. But his greatest concern was for the outcast of society. Luke stressed the humanity and compassion of Jesus more than any of the other Gospels writers did. His narrative made it clear that God, through his son Jesus, reached out into love to the unlovable of our world. Ever since Adam and Eve's first sin in the Garden of Eden, God had passionately desired and pursued the restoration of broken people. His love and concern for us are unstoppable. As we dare to see the truth, many of our discover just how terrible and destructive our mistakes have been as we seek God and ask Him to eliminate any areas of sin within us we may begin to see how sinful and broken we really are. We may wonder whether there is any hope for us. How could God care for us when we fall so far short of His perfect will for us? In reading the Gospels of Luke, we can gain hope from the compassion God showed towards people who were a lot like us. God wants to show us how much He loves us regardless of our mistakes in the past or how far we fall short of His perfect will. Spiritual Renewal Themes Jesus Loves the Outcast Jesus paid special attention to the poor, the despised, the hurt, and the sinful. He rejected no one. He ignored no one. And no one today is beyond the scope of His love or beyond His ability to help including us. He cares for us no matter what we have done, what we have failed to do, what we have suffered, or what suffering we have inflicted on others. Only this kind of deep love can satisfy our deepest needs and draw us towards God Himself. When we are faced with our weakness, we may feel that no one can understand or care. Luke showed us that God both understands and cares. We can safely surrender our lives to Him. Again, we can safely surrender our lives to Him. The Power of the Resurrection Paul wrote to the Philistines and rejoiced that he could really know Christ and experience His mighty power that raised Him from the dead. Philippians 3.10 like the other gospel writers, Luke showed in detail and the events surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is no greater example of God's power at work than that which can bring the dead back to life again. 
God specializes in demonstrating the kind of power as we experience His work within us. With God, nothing is too difficult. God's passion for our spiritual renewal. God cares about our spiritual renewal even more than we do. That's how much He loves and cares for us. Jesus showed this by revealing His intense interest in people and relationships. He cared for His followers and friends. He was interested in all types of people, men, women, children. His concern transcended all barriers and extended to any and all that He met. He longed to see people spiritually alive, growing and fruitful. As we come to know Him and share His heart, we experience His passion for our spiritual renewal. He died that we might live. The Power of the Holy Spirit Jesus lived His life in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was present at the birth of Jesus, at His baptism, in His ministry, and in His resurrection. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father to confirm Jesus' authority. Today, the Holy Spirit is given to empower us to live as God wants us to live. By faith, we can have the Holy Spirit's presence and power within us. The key verse for the book of Luke is... Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham, and I, the son of man, who come to seek and save those like him who are lost. Chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. The purpose of this book, of the book of Luke, is to confirm the historical record of the life of Jesus Christ, whose universal message offers hope and salvation to all who turned to him. The author was Luke the Physicians. Introduction, chapter one of Luke. Luke writes, Most Honorable Theophilus, Many people have written accounts about the events that took place among us. They use as their source material the reports circulating among us from the early disciples and other eyewitnesses of God, what God has done in fulfillment of His promises. Having carefully investigated all of these accounts from the beginning, I have decided to write a careful summary for you to reassure you of the truth of all you were taught. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. It all begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived when Herod was king of Judah. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. 
As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by law to enter the sanctuary and burn incense in the Lord's presence. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed with fear, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. You will be, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice with you at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his before his birth. And he will persuade many Israelites to turn to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will perceive the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for his arrival. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I know this will happen? I am an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. For my word will certainly come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures that he must have sent a vision in the temple sanctuary. He stayed at the temple until his term of service was over, and then he returned home. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Note, commentary. And the preface, Luke testified that the gospel of Jesus is based on historical fact and not on theories or myths. Speculating religion, secular philosophies, or political leaders do not meet the deepest needs of the human heart. History is filled with people who aspire to be God, but only one was truly God. Jesus alone can meet our deepest needs. Those Zechariah and Elizabeth were godly people. They were childish, and Elizabeth was well past normal childbearing years. The situation was discouraging, even depressing, as many couples in our society can testify. To make matters worse, in their culture, childlessness was typically taken as a sign of God's curse or displeasure. Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful in trusting God, even though God seemed to be against them. This was a key 
to the blessing they receive later on. Their example of patient perseverance is a good example for those of us who seek to grow spiritually. Now, John the Baptist's ministry was one that would turn the hearts of parents to their children, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. His message called for personal repentance and the restoration of broken family relationships, even though the complete fulfillment of these words is still in the future. The principle has always been true. When God is at work, even resistant hearts can be softened and families restored. As godly as Zechariah was, he still could not believe the angel Gabriel's promise. From a natural frame of reference, it seemed totally impossible that he and Elizabeth could conceive a child in their old age. The consequences of even this short-term unbelief was substantial and tragic. Zechariah could not speak throughout the term of Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. Unbelief can have a numbling effect on our spiritual progress as well. Confession of faith before God and others by lips and life, as Zechariah was eventually able to do will help our faith to grow. Honestly, admitting our doubts is a good place to start. The birth of Jesus foretold, verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how? How can I have a baby? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And the angel left. Mary visits Elizabeth. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greetings, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. 
and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, You are blessed by God above all other women, and your child is blessed. What an honor this is, that the mother of my Lord should visit me. When you came in and greeted me, my baby jumped for joy the instant I heard your voice. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord will do what he said. The Magnificent is Mary's song of praise. Mary responded, Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior, for he took notice of this lonely servant girl, and now generation after generation will call me blessed. For he, the Mighty One, is holy, and he has done great things for me. His mercy goes on from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm does tremendous things, how he scatters the proud and haughty ones. He has taken princes from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. And how he has helped his servant Israel. He has not forgotten his promise to be merciful, for he promised our ancestors Abraham and his children to be merciful to them forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. These words from Mary's song, note, reflect God's priorities standing in stark contrast to the way our world thinks. How important it is when life seems unfair and does not turn out the way we might have chosen. To realize that God's ways are often not our ways, True greatness is not measured by human success and achievements, but by the depth of our sincere humility. The Birth of John the Baptist Now it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, and it was a boy. The word spread quickly to her neighbors and relatives that the Lord had been very kind to her, and everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, all the relatives and friends came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, No, no, his name is John. What? they exclaimed. Who? There is no one in your, all your family by the name. So they asked the baby's father, communicating to him by making gestures. He motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Wonder fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread through all the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on those events and asked, I wonder what this child will turn out to be. 
For the hand of the Lord is surely upon him in a special way. Zechariah's Prophecy Man, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited his people and redeemed them. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant with them. The covenant he gave our ancestors, Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness forever. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercies, the light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit. Then he lived out in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Note. Here, Jesus Christ is portrayed as light shining on those living in darkness. Hearing their, this metaphor, the original readers would probably have thought of a group of travelers overtaken by darkness who were left in danger by the roadside all night. Such people helpless to defend themselves against the attack of robbers would be have welcomed the light of the rising sun. This is a picture of what Jesus can do for any one of us who are in the darkness of sin. We move from darkness into the light as we receive God's gift of forgiveness and make a personal commitment to Him. As we experience new hope in Jesus, we can tell others about the light we have seen. Now, a commentary about Elizabeth and Zechariah. Many couples who long for children are unable to have them. Often their attempt to conceive a child go on for a very long time. And each month passes they go through a painful progression from hope to fear to terrible disappointment. And as their years roll by, all their lingering hopes disappear. They are left with sort of an empty resignation. This is what it was like for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Their desire for children had not been fulfilled, and they concluded that they would remain childish for the rest of their lives. But suddenly life changed for them. While serving in the Jerusalem temple, Zechariah was visited by an angel who announced that Zechariah and Elizabeth will have a son. He was to be called John and would become the forerunner of the Messiah. Understandably shocked, Zechariah doubted the words of the angel because of his unbelief. He was rendered speechless until the child's birth. When Elizabeth heard the news, she believed the angel's message and was excited about her 
forecoming pregnancy. She indeed became pregnant and in her sixth month was visited by her cousin, Mary, who was pregnant with the child of Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth praised Mary's faith. When Elizabeth's baby was born, Zechariah, who still could not speak, wrote down the name the angel had given him, John. At that point, God restored his voice. With his first joyful words, Zechariah praised God for the great gift of a son and for God's intimate concern with their pain. Whether God blesses the children with a child or the helpless with his powerful presence, we see from the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah that God is intimately involved in our pain and that he desires to fill the empty places in our lives. Strength and Accomplishments Zechariah and Elizabeth were known as godly people. Zechariah overcame his doubt and practiced God, praised God for his power. Zechariah obeyed the angel and named his son John. Zechariah was initially doubted God's ability to give them a child in their older years. God is fully aware of the painful disappointments of childish people. God is intimately aware of the pain of hurting people. All things are possible with God. God can use older people to make significant contributions to his plan. The key verse, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands, commands and regulations, Luke 1.6. Now, the reader uh, um, says that all things are possible with God, how to access all things are possible with God. Giving thanks to God for the problem will take you from different stages. First, from a, a from an attempt of faith, you will praise God for the problem that I can handle this problem. No. Then, after your own commitment, initiation of. Uh, of approach to thanking God. Say, for instance, you can't have children. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I know someday you'll do. After that period is over and you exhaust your thanking God, you make a commitment to keep thanking God that all things are possible with Him. And then you become angry that you have to thank God for this. You have to work at it. In yourself, you become, your flesh becomes angry. And then, after you keep thanking God because you made the initial commitment to keep thanking God, you surrender. And then, as you surrender a little bit, you become self-pitying and hurt. Why do you have to thank God for so long for this problem? Your emotions will be that of self-pitying, poor me. After that period is over with, and we grow up some, we continue to thank God for the problem, say childish, not childish, childless couple. And you keep thanking God 
and then you get to a point that you don't see any children and you don't see any progress and then you say to God God I'm going to thank you for this if you want me to thank you for the rest of my life bing that's when all things are possible with God that's how we successfully have, have followed his ordinations his commandments his precepts in this formula that I have just mentioned that is my personal opinion and experience that after you thank him and you surrender and you make a commitment to thank him for the rest of your life if you have babies or not have babies and then the miracle of god takes place a reward will come either you'll have a child or you'll have a foster child someone who has whose spirit inside you says that's my son that's my daughter but a reward will come for your faith and your actions to your faith praising the lord is the key to all emotional distress the reader fernando thanks you for listening the word of the lord thanks be to god blessings to you family of god Fernando, alcoholic, I have a report from a sponsee, a 19-year-old that picked up, uh, he picked up a DUI, coming home with some friends, and has, it totally put his life upside down, and the family's life, where the parents have had to bring him to the meetings, and I got to know the young man, and uh, not an alcoholic, as the extent that we drank, but uh, a student that just needed some guidance, and he took off in the right way. He's got over a year now, going on two years. He's academically working for uh, swimming events now, I guess preparing for the Olympics or something. He's always uh, achieving great things. <clears throat> but it's really interesting that part of his uh, restoration program by the, uh, I guess, the authorities, uh, in addition to a, a great big fine, is uh, going to the morgue, and I asked him to give us a report because I believe the morgue uh, speaks a lot about our uh, 3,600 death last year of alcohol-impaired drivers on the road uh, and, you know, the dangers of it, so the awareness. So here's his report of my young sponsee, Jonathan, and thank you, Jonathan, for uh, doing this for us. Here he go. He is, Jonathan. Hello, everyone. So I just finished my hospital and work program, and I wanted to review this with you guys. So I am going to go over the hospital portion first, and we mainly focus on how alcohol affects you. go over with you guys what is considered a legal drink. You see, one is the 12 ounces of beer. There is also eight ounces of malt liquor. Moreover, there is five ounces of wine and 
1.5 ounces of hard liquid, which in other words, it's just one shot. Now, usually it takes two to three drinks depending on your size and how often you drink to reach the illegal limit, which is 0.08 BAC or above. Now, moving on, I wanted to talk about the different BAC levels and how they affect you. First off, if you are around the 0.05 BAC level, your behavior will may well or may become exaggerated. You may speak louder and gesture more. You may also begin to lose control of small muscles, like the ability to focus your eyes, so vision will become blurry. Now moving on to the 0.08 BAC, which is considered the illegal and unsafe limit to drive, you will lose more coordination. So, your balance, speech, reaction times, and even hearing will become worse. On the other hand, 0.10% BAC level. This is where reaction time and control will be reduced, and your speech will become slurred. Thinking and reasoning are slower, and the ability to coordinate your arms and legs is very poor. Moreover, the 0.15 BAC, which is very high, and this is where you have much less control over your balance and voluntary muscle. So walking and talking are difficult. You may fall and even hurt yourself. Now on the other hand, once you reach the 0.20 to 0.29%, this is where you start feeling confusion, feel dazed, and disorientation is very common. Sensations of pain will change, so if you fall and seriously hurt yourself, you will not even notice, and you are less likely to do anything about it. Nausea and vomiting are likely to occur, and the gag reflex will become impaired, which could cause choking and aspirating on vomiting. And during this level, this is where usually all blackouts happen. And which, in other words, it means that you don't remember what happened. Now, lastly, I wanted to go over the point 30 and above, which is considered even more dangerous. Because once you reach this level, this is when you are unconscious and can potentially die. Now, at the end of the day, they wanted us to work on ourselves and especially because due to the pandemic more people are stressed and frustrated which is why we must stay focused on our goals and look at the pros and cons of drinking on one hand one drink isn't bad in itself it is multiple drinks and how often you decide to drink which is bad but again why drink if it does not benefit you in any way, then why do it? In my situation, yes, I have taken a drink or two after I received my DUI, which is bad and unresponsible. But due to my great supporters 
and especially my sponsor, Fernando, who keeps me on my feet and motivates me to not drink, I am not an alcoholic. But anyone can turn into one without the right friends or family, which is why I am grateful I have a great support from family and my most recent and great friend, Fernando. Now, moving on to the more portion. We did not actually see the dead people physically, which most people usually do, but simply due to the COVID situation, we took a in-person class and saw visual pictures of all the different cases on how people died. Such Cases such as drunk driving or under the influence of other drugs, such as cocaine, or even attending illegal racing. What I learned from this is very simple, which is not be in the presence or take part in illegal acts or be under the influence of drugs and alcohol because it can either affect you or other innocent people. We all live once, so just take it easy and live life the right way. Now, to finish off the recording, I just want to say we all make mistakes and will likely keep making mistakes. But learning from them and keeping them small will help you live a happier and longer life. Thank you. Wow, that was Jonathan. Um, I heard you hurt the part. I apologize for the recording. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I guess he was recording in his car and the recording, I'll have to fix that and maybe... Uh, reread it to you by listening in another format. But anyway, uh, this is Jonathan's report of the morgue. I was just, I thought I was going to hear the uh, statistics of uh, 15 people came into the morgue today. Eight of them were alcohol and drug related deaths, you know, their heart stop or heroin doses and stuff like that. But uh, it's like anything in life, it's always a surprise. I was uh, very well surprised in the uh, what they teach at the L.A. morgue on DUI cases. I had not the opportunity to go to the morgue when I first got my first DUI in my mid-20s or early 20s. Uh, on my second DUI, about my mid-20s, I, uh, I was sent to AA in Anabue School where I saw I was the prodigal son and I woke up. I woke up and I said, wow, I, need, I didn't have any power to live right. I knew what was the right thing to do. I had no power, and alcohol was seeming like the only thing that was offering me power, you know, to, to have peace of mind. But when I went to, the, to these programs, I got peace of mind with the enthusiasm, with the literature, with the truth that was in the middle of the room, and the corresponding people that, that display their humor, their love, their compassion. <clears throat> and the presence of God was so strong in these rooms that through osmosis, I got the program. Through osmosis, the devils left. Through osmosis, I learned to be a responsible uh, to the, my best ability and start falling forward. Instead of falling backwards and backwards, you know what's falling backwards. 
you get one DUI, you go three days forward, and you get uh, to a fight, you get backed up again, then you go forward and back, trying to achieve your goals, trying to go back and forth. <clears throat> but once the doors were open, they're happy, joyous, and free. There was powers to achieve uh, great things. Purchase a house, purchase cars, and hang on to them, and, and uh, have space, stable relationships. Anyway, God bless you. <clears throat> May the Lord help us, our higher power, individually help us to be the, the person they call us to be. Take care. Excerpts from the book, God Calling by A.J. Russell. December 17th, Conditions of Blessings. Jesus, we love thee. We see that all things are planned by thee. We rejoice in the vision. The Lord Jesus says, Rejoice in the fact that you are mine. The privilege of the members of my kingdom are many. When I said of my father, he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and send it rain on the just and on the unjust, you will notice it was of temporal and material blessings I spoke. I did not mean that believers and unbelievers could be treated alike. That is not possible. I can send rain and sunshine and money and worldly blessings equally to both. But of the blessing of the kingdom, that would be impossible. There are conditions that control the bestowal of these my followers do not always understand this, and it is necessary they should do so if they are remembering my injunctions which followed. <clears throat> be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. To attempt to bestow on all alike your love and understanding and interchange of thought would be impossible. The temporal blessings you to bestowed but temporal blessings you to bestow as does my Father all must be done in love and in the spirit of true forgiveness. December 18th. See, see wonders. Think your thought way into the very heart of my kingdom. Think your thought way into the very heart of my kingdom. See that the abundance of the lights in my storehouse and lay eager hands on them. See wonders, ask wonders, bear wonders, away with you. Remember this beautiful earth on which you are, was once only a thought of divine mind. Think from your thoughts, one corner of it could grow, become a garden to, of the Lord. A Bethany home for your maker, a place to which I have a right to bring my friends, my needy ones, for talk and rest with me. December 19th, perfect love. O oh Lord, give us that perfect love of thee that casts out all fear. Never let yourself fear anybody or anything. No fear of my failing you. No fear that you will fail you. No fear of poverty or lonely. No fear of not knowing the way. No fear of others. No fear of their misunderstanding. 
for my children. This absolute casting out of fear is the result of a perfect love, a perfect love of me and my father. Speak to me about everything. Listen to me at all times. Feel my tender nearness, substituting at once. Some thought of me for that fear. The powers of evil watch you as a besieging force would watch a guarded city. The object being always to find some weak spot, attack that, and so gain an entrance. So evil lurks around you and seeks to surprise you in some fear. The fear may have been but a small one, but it affords evil a weak spot of attack and entrance. And then in come rushing despondence, doubt of me, and so many other sins. Pray, my beloved children, for the perfect love of me that indeed casts out all fear. So the moral of the story, as I understand it, and have experienced peace, is reading First John 1 through 5 and reading the book of John, especially 14, 15, 16, and 17. Takes about half hour to read both, about eight chapters, nine, and behold, you will have peace, joy, and resources, because love will bring over. The discipline is what makes love possible. And once you have love, love activates faith. Excuse me. And faith allows imagination to spur, and then God blesses your imagination. God blesses our joys, our wants, our needs, our laughter, our fulfillment. He pays off our bills and makes them run away. That's my experience. God bless your family. Hope you enjoy those small readings. Take care. I will be reading a story from Summer Treasures is the title of the story taken from Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul. William Black has one, was quoted, No bird soars too high if he soars on his own wings. The story goes, My last customer's tab had been rung up on the old catch register. I carefully placed the final dirty dishes in the holding tray, then shoved the tray into the gapping mouth of the huge gleaming steel dishwasher. It was finally quiet. The morning rush over is, has been over. I have been working since 6 a.m. and my 10-year-old stomach had been rumbling for an hour. Break time, Janie girl. Anna smiled over her shoulder as she finished cleaning the hot stove with oil and the big rectangle chore stone. Big rectangle core stone. How about if I cook you some breakfast, she said. I love Anna's kind face, her sparkling eyes, and her strong arms that would wrap around me when my mom wasn't looking. 
Anna had been the morning cook since my parents bought the small town cafe. Auntie Anna, as I called her, was tall, big bone, a, a, as a rail had huge hard-working hands. It was the custom for children raised in the 50s to call adults aunt, uncle, or Mr. or Mrs., never by their first names. Anna had insisted that she was to be my auntie. Just as I was to say I love some pancakes, my mother came into the kitchen with a pie in her hand and a look on her face as cold as the steel sink. She glared at me. Then Anna put the pie in the oven and and stalked out of the kitchen. She had been giving me the silent treatment for two days now, ever since my father had told me that I could accept Anna's invitation to work on her ranch in the afternoons for the summer after our work in the cafe was done. <clears throat> of course, my mother's icy silence, cold withdrawals, and statements that I would never amount to anything seemed to need no reason. No matter how hard I worked or tried to seek her approval, I had grown accustomed to the cold climate of inedible failure, just as I had grown accustomed to my father's unwelcome touches and my parents' late-night whiskey battles. Don't pay her any mind, Janie girl, Anna said kindly. She just isn't the best of moods in this morning. You're a good, hard-working girl. Now eat some pancakes. You're going to need some energy for the work waiting for you at the ranch this afternoon. She winked at me. <clears throat> I will never forget my first glimpse of the Flying W Ranch. As we rounded the corner, uh, corner of the dusty dirt road in Anna's old pickup truck, the ancient big white farmhouse with a wraparound porch that seemed to radiate as much love as Anna's solid arms. The huge red barn. The coral full of beautiful horses. Corral. Cattle grazing on what appears to be endless acreage and the Australian shepherd that yeeped at the tires of the truck. After we got out of the truck, Anna introduced me to her two boys from whom I never met, Sandy and Donnie and to her husband, Pete. Then they took me to the corral and introduced me to the fleet, Fleetfoot, a beautiful black stallion. As I rubbed his silky muzzle and looked into his soft, warm brown eyes, I was told that he was one of the finest cutting horses on the ranch and would be mine for this summer. I worked on the ranch every summer until I left home at 18. Even though my mother made it so hard for Anna that she finally quit her cooking job when I was 12. My memories are full of summer afternoons, flying through tall grass, holding onto the reins while Fleetfoot did his job, cutting the cattle, racing Sandy and Donnie bareback across rivers and streams, kneading bread dough with Annie Anna, sitting in the big harvest kitchen table, watching her churn butter, saying grace before dinner and hearing Sip lap, the rich cream Uncle Pete always gave him fresh from the bucket because he was a hard-working animal who deserved his share of the best. I never told Aunt Annie Anna or Uncle Pete the horrors that were going on in my childhood home. 
I didn't need to, although I often confined my deepest secrets to Fleetfoot and Zip. Adult children of alcoholics carry wounds from their childhood, but many, like me, also carry the treasures and gifts of people along the way who took the time to care. When my children were young, they helped me make bread once a week. We shared meals around a harvest table like the one in the old farmhouse. Our house was frequently full of extra children. We always had a dog. I hugged my children every day of their lives, and I still love to sit with my grandchildren on the wraparound porch of my home. Those days in the Flying W were few, but the work I did there was more than cutting cattle and mending fences. The lasting work was the mending of my spirit and the knowledge that like zip, we, are, we all deserve to be treated with kindness and compassion when we give our best. From Jane Middleton Moss, M-O-Z. Beautiful, wonderful story. Our next story is called Touched by a Higher Power. Dinner was at a local restaurant to be followed by dancing at one of Chilliwack's more popular nightclubs. It was a time filled with great food, laughter, teasing, recollections of the school week, fully satisfied some would leave for home while the rest of us made our way to the club. Bright colored lights flashed and, and strobes pierced the semi-dark room filled with people having a good time listening listening to a good cover of Twilight Zone. A song originally done by Gold Earring. The music was loud and the party was just beginning. My hands helplessly reached for the concoction capable of turning man to an animal. Looking to my friend, girlfriend, I asked jokingly, Hey baby, do you mind if I get drunk tonight? Knowing that we live just a couple of blocks from the club, Phyllis replied, laughing, Sure, why not? I don't have to have too far to carry you home. Over the music, I showed it right on. You're my kind of girl. The night of drinking, laughter, and dancing would take its toll. As if I didn't have enough to drink or wasn't drunk enough already, I always had to finish with a zombie or two, a very potent drink of various types of alcohol and a bit of mix. My laughter was now diminishing, and the apparent heaviness of my heart was showing on my face. Are you okay, Phyllis asked. Looking like a zombie I had just drank, I replied, Yeah, I'm fine, and you? Rubbing my thigh lightly as she was all we had, Phyllis said, It's okay, everything will be all right. Her eyes looked right into mine as she could see right through me. Reading my mind, seeing my soul, feeling her love, and knowing that I couldn't hide anything from her, tears began to fill my eyes. Had enough to drink? Want to go home? She asked. Hesitantly, I answered, motivated by the thoughts of the damage I now begun to do in my drunkenness, not feeling too safe inside myself. Sure, let's go home. I, I awoke in the morning, sad, sick, sorry, and extremely hangover awaking again to the words that I dreaded hearing after a good night's drunk. 
You're not going to like yourself very much when you see what you've done. Silence filled the air. I was too ashamed to even look at Phyllis, for those words only meant one thing. Defeated. I slowly made my way toward the living room, hoping in those few minutes the damage I'd done would somehow miraculously repair itself. Oh my God, I did this? Phyllis, scared and very concerned, asked, You don't remember? Fear gripped me as I envisioned the fury it must have taken to reap such destruction. No, why? Why did I do this? We had just left Huggies. You were quite drunk and I wanted to get you home. You stopped in the parking lot across the way. I looked at you. Your eyes and your face were as if you had become a different person. I asked you if you were okay. You said yes. I told you to keep on walking. We're almost home. Not moving, you started asking why. Why? I asked what you were talking about. Why? What? You didn't answer. You just stared. You started hollering. Your fists were clenched and you ran angrily towards the house. You kicked in the door. By now you were cursing. Why? Fearfully, I asked, where were the kids when all this was happening? I found a note on the table that he spent the night at a friend's place. There was no one home but you and me, she explained. Not really wanting to know, I asked, what happened next? You began smashing everything, punching and kicking the walls. That's where all the holes are from. Walking over to the fireplace, you knocked everything onto the floor. You flipped the couches and the armchairs as though they were paperweights, smashing the coffee table and throwing the other table around. You walked over to your weights and picked up your barbell and began repeatedly slamming it to the floor, hollering and cursing. And where were you while this was happening? Phyllis replied, right here next to you. In utter dismay at the vast devastation, I asked, weren't you afraid? No, I began to pray. You made your way into the dining room crying, still asking, why, why? I just watched you, I wasn't afraid. The tone of her voice changed as she said, I really needed to talk to you about something. My spirit already crushed, braced itself for the worst. After doing all the damage, do you remember anything at all? She asked, puzzled, I answered, nothing, nothing, why? Silently she stared at me and then continued, from where I was sitting, you were full in full view, you didn't enter the kitchen. You stood in front of the doorway, pausing again. She looked at me, questioned me. You began to talk to someone. Quickly, I interrupted her. You said we were alone. Yes, that's true, but as I watched you, you were motioning with your hands, very clearly talking to someone. I couldn't understand what you were saying, but I could hear you as clear as I hear you now. You spoke with this person, or whatever it was, for about 10 minutes. Do you remember who or what it was and what it is that you were talking about? Even more perplexed. I replied, no, are you sure this is what really happened? Assertively, assertively, she retorted. Come on now, you know me. Would I make something up like this or lie to you? Phyllis was a woman of many years of sobriety, a woman of integrity. 
She never played such a cruel trick on me. She continued, whatever you talked about, I, it must have been something good. Afterwards, you changed completely. You turned to me and an incredible look of peace back in your eyes and in your face. You walked toward me and all of the damage you had done. The only thing that you picked up was a calendar with a picture of Jesus on it. You pinned it back on the wall, then said, Let's go to bed, sweetheart. I'm tired. Powerful emotions stir as I recall the night years ago and think about the place from which I have come. Worlds of seemingly unrecoverable loss and immense pain. Wondering how a hand of beauty, love, and grace could reach into darkness so vile to rescue such as I. Tears no longer of rage and anger roll down my face in thankfulness for the life I have now found, sobriety, a life no longer dominated by drugs, alcohol, rage, pain. Five years each new day bringing with the, the promise of something better. This can only be so as the words he spoke still echo somewhere deeply in my soul. From Godwin H.B. Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul, page 5, The Empty Chair. Now Tom Peters said, unless you walk out onto the unknown, the odds of making a profound difference in your life are pretty low. I walked into Tom Rutledge's office with no great expectations. I had been treated for various eating disorders, especially for over six months and had not seen any improvements with my anxiety, bulimia, anorexia. In fact, the binging, purging, and starving were getting worse every day. Almost as soon as we sat down, Tom took a chair from the corner and put it directly across from me. I was certain that I had signed up for an individual therapy session. I was really not in the mood for anyone to join us. He said, I want you to imagine your eating disorder sitting on this chair. I looked first at the door. I might be leaving soon. Then it got stranger. Tom suggested that we name my eating disorder. That's right. He wanted to name it. He called it Ed which he explained is actually an acronym for eating disorder. Okay, something that made sense, but I still was wondering who was in more need of therapy, me or this so-called expert 
psychotherapist. I scanned the walls of the office looking for credentials. All of the other eating disorder professionals whom I had seen previously prominently displayed their various diplomas and certificates in their office. Tom's credentials were nowhere to be found. Instead, I saw a stuffed animal, <clears throat> some species I didn't recognize, an empty whisking bottle serving as a vase for dry flowers, and an oversized deck of playing cards. Seriously, the cards were big. Who is this guy anyway? What am I doing here, and why did he just give me give my eating disorder a man's name? I was confused. After those few moments of hesitation, I remember that I was paying this man a lot of money to help me recover from my eating disorder. So I decided to give Tom the benefit of the doubt. I looked at the chair, completely empty and still, and imagined my eating disorder, Ed, was sitting there. Once Tom saw that I was going to play along with his little metaphor, he took it to the next level of weird. He asked me to have a conversation with Ed. It did not take me long to realize that this chair was the most talkative piece of furniture I had ever run across in my life. This chair, Ed, actually had quite a lot to say. Tom was no longer the only stranger one in the room. Ed said, Jenny, you are fat. Why are you listening to Tom anyway? You will never be able to get rid of me. I have been with you your entire life. He continued, Feel how tight your jeans fit across your waist right now. Isn't that very uncomfortable? And remember this morning you had to buckle your belt one notch larger than normal? That means you better not eat dinner tonight. Ed went on and on throughout the session with negative comments about food, weight, and more. As I sat listening to Ed, it all felt so familiar. Finally, Tom interrupted and asked, Jenny, do you have anything that you want to say back to Ed? I was speechless. I had never been given the opportunity to speak back to the condemning thoughts that had ruled my life for over 20 years. I had always assumed that the, these thoughts were just the truth. That they were just me. I was my eating disorder. But something has shifted now. Tom was showing me that the negative thoughts that berated me day and night did not originate with me. These thoughts, these insults came from Ed, not Jenny. And now Tom was giving Jenny the chance to speak up. I had no idea what to say. What do you say to someone who has manipulated, abused, and controlled you for years? What do you say to someone who has lied to you for your entire life? What do you say to someone who ultimately wants to destroy you? I sat in silence for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, I asked Ed, Why do you try to control my every move? Why won't you just leave me alone? In the few seconds that it took me to ask those two questions, I felt just a little bit of separation from Ed. And it felt so good. So I continued to talk to Ed. Was it you who told me I was fat when I was only four years old in, a, in dance class? And why did you never let me eat Halloween candy as a child? One piece of candy wouldn't have hurt me. 
it always looks so good and why is the size of my dress the only thing that I remember about my high school prom and you said that was all that mattered in college it was you who convinced me to walk into my bathroom and force myself to throw up that very first time wasn't it why I had so many questions for it Tom mentioned that I should never get the answers that I wanted from Ed, but that asking the question was an excellent place to start. Tom smiled at me. I think I smiled too. Before I knew it, the session with Tom was over, and I was out of the door walking to my car, but this time, unlike leaving therapy sessions before, I felt with something new. I left with something new. I left with hope. In the time I spent with Tom that day, I rediscovered Jenny, the healthy part of me that wanted to live and be free of my eating disorder. I learned that she just needed a lot of patience and time to grow. I sat in my car, turned the engine over, and started to drive home. I was on a new road this time. I was on the real recovery path, and now I knew I could do it. I heard Ed's chuckling in the back, mumbling under his breath something about how he would never let me go. With all the newfound inspiration that I had just gained from Tom's office, I imagined stopping the car and throwing it out. This is definitely not going to be easy, I thought, but I can do it. Jenny S. Jenny Schaefer. Maybe she's the one who started uh, Jenny Craig, huh? Craig and Jenny? All right, let's move over along. Skeletons in my closet. I think I read this before. Well, let me, it sounds like it'll go along with Jenny's story. This is page 21. The skeleton in my closet. If you have a skeleton in your closet, take it out and dance with it. Carolyn McKenzie. My graduation, graduation dress made a surprise appearance from the back of my closet last spring. The kids dug it out in an effort to supply vintage clothing for a fashion show the local high school was hosting. The fabric was brittle with the accumulated filth of 30 years. The yellow chiffon muted under a layer of dust. The green velvet ribbon around the empire waist had faded to a melancholy gray. The elongated bowl drooping like the ears of a well-loved stuffed toy. My daughters covered her mouth in mock horror as the dress slid off the coat hanger and slumped to the floor. There echoed in my head as I reached for the gown. I heard the faint rattle of bones as the skeleton I had sipped into the folds of yellow chiffon was suddenly released. The secret I had hidden behind the wedding dress, bridesmaids' gowns, outdated Christmas outfits, the large clothes, the winter coats, and the maternity dress I couldn't bear to part with laid blandly at my feet. What's wrong, Mom? My eldest daughter asked as I felt the color drain from my face. I held my breath and vainly searched for words. 
My youngest daughter gingerly gathered the dusty folds of fabric in her arms, creating them like an antique doll. Can I try it on? she asked. I looked into the healthy faces of my two teenage daughters at their cheeks faintly bronzed by sunshine, at their arms muscled and firm, their bodies strong and feminine, and cursed the guilty secret that was now out of of the bag. You can try it on, I said tentatively, but I don't think you'll be able to do do it up. I was very thin in high school. I stand five foot nine in my stocking feet. The dress is a smidge smaller than a size six. Aside from a fading snapshot, safely tucked in a photo album at my father's house, there is no evidence of what I did to myself in my grade 12 year, except, of course, for the dress itself. The dress reappeared in my doorway, draped over the slim frame of my 15-year-old daughter. She's much shorter than I was as a teenager, more fit, more athletic, prettier. Bills of material mounted around her feet, but the back of the dress gapped open, the zipper strained, it was impossible to close. We all walk with demons. Of this, I am fairly certain, but sitting face to face with one I had never acknowledged was as unnerving as anything I have ever experienced. I had never admitted to anyone that I was bulimic. Hell, the word hadn't been even invented when I discovered what I believed to be the ultimate weight control program. My daughter's eyes, my daughter eyed me dubiously, waiting for an explanation. I had an eating disorder in high school. I finally whispered surprisingly myself with a frankness in my voice. My mother had to have the dress specially made for me when I graduated. My mother, my mother had been frantic as she watched her healthy teenage daughter melt away. She marched me into doctor's office, pounding desks with her fists and demanding that they get to the bottom of whatever was that causing me to clo- to lose so much weight. They never did. I feigned innocence. My monthly cycle stopped. I exercised like a fiend. I ate like a horse and quietly disappeared into the bathroom immediately following every meal. Then we couldn't find a dress to fit the skeleton that had become. I hated myself. Twenty years later, when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, I fought with the demons again. She died, she died never knowing my secret or the fact that her grief-stricken, painfully thin daughter was starving herself again. The room was suddenly static with disbelief. My youngest daughter let the dress fall from her shoulders. It landed with a silent puff at her feet. Why did you keep the dress? My eldest daughter asked. I scooped the musty fabric from the floor as a a reminder, I suppose, I said, rocking it. She sat down beside me. Why didn't you ever tell me? The maternal tone of her voice was laced with concern. It's not something I'm very proud of, I whispered, or something that ever goes away. I had confessed the appearance of the grad dress forced me to admit that bulimia has walked with me for 30 years, that I wrestled with its powerful grabs through every major event in my life. That event now, when the world around me spins out of control, 
I look inward to the thing I can control and fight the urge to take his hand again. As I eye the soft fabric in my lap, I realize that eating disorders never disappear. They simply shuffle themselves to the back of closets and lurk. Whether mine was waiting for control or acceptance, I'm not sure. But now that the skeleton is out of my closet, I hope I can learn to accept the teenager who wore that dress and perhaps forgive her the dark secret she's been hiding. Elva Stollers. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. Chicken Soup for the Recovering Soul.